so much, Terry. I love it when you get invited to a church and the pastor preaches before you get up and preach. Um, no, I, this is like a second home to us, so I can say that Pastor Barden and, and of all of you, especially the ones that have been on the teams, but all of you have become like family to us. Um, in fact, we, um, we came in October and my son had his 16th birthday here at the youth ministry because he knows a lot of the youth here better than he knows um, anyone in Syracuse because of the continual support and love that you've blessed us with. And so it's a joy to be back. We feel like this is our second home. Um, and this morning, I just want to share a story with you, if I may, if um, if I can do that. And the story is found in the book of Acts. If you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, the, set, the setting of the story is in Antioch. And the Bible tells us that in Antioch, there was a church. And in this church, there was listed a a, a number of leaders prophets, teachers, and one of them listed there was a man by the name of Saul. And so this morning, I just want to share the story of Saul and how God called Saul into to missions. To, it called Saul in to be the greatest missionary except for Jesus Christ that this world will ever know. And as we share the story of Saul, I want to kind of intertwine, if I may, some of our story of what God has done in Panama, what he is going to do in Panama. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 13, the story of Saul. Um, my wife's going to come up and share um, part of the message with me this morning. As I mentioned, my son Jacob is here with us, 16 years old. My daughter Amber is back there. Um, she's 13. If you don't know Amber, you're under a rock. But um, she's a, she's my our social butterfly, and my son is our techie. And we're so thankful that God has called us as a family into missions into Panama to do the work that God has called us to do. I'm going to try to sit down. It probably won't work um, because I can't, but um, here we go. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here we have a church in the middle of the church. The spirit of this won't work. The spirit of God spoke and said, "Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. I will work for them." And so, so they fasted, they prayed, they they placed their hands on them and sent them off as rookie missionaries. I remember this was the very first church that picked us up. I remember being here in January on a Wednesday night and seeing our name on on the list. This is how we found out that you guys were partnering with us. Our name was on the list of missionaries there on your PowerPoint on a Wednesday night. And I'm like, man, if it's going to be this easy, we got it licked, you know? And then almost two years later, we finally got out on the field. But but you guys were one of um, the first churches that came alongside, partnered with us to do the work. And so here we have rookie missionaries sent off we were 35 years old when we were sent to Costa Rica to learn Spanish. Um, I made Dora's Spanish look, you know, complicated. I don't know. It was, it was a difficult time. And then we went to Panama. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times as a rookie, you know, you think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, you're going to go to, we're going to go to Panama and they're just going to look at you and say, wow. You know what I mean? They've got it all together. They did. They looked at us. 
they said, wow, they don't know Spanish. No, but, um, but you know, so we, we were rookie missionaries in, 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 in Panama. And, and, and so here we have Paul and Saul and Barnabas being sent off rookie missionaries. And what I find amazing is that Luke, as he's writing the, the, the book of Acts, the very first person that he lists here that Paul and Barnabas meet. Let's look at him. His, in verse number six, the very first person that they encounter, rookie missionaries, sent off from their home church in, of Antioch. And here's what the Bible says. They went all the way across the Isle of Paphos. This is verse number six, where they met a what? Certain magician named Bar-Jesus, a Jew who claimed to be, be a prophet. He was a friend of the governor of the island, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor called Barnabas and saw before him. He wanted to hear the word of God, but they were opposed by the magician who tried to turn the governor away from the faith. Rookie missionaries being full of, I know, full of zeal, you know, enthusiasm. We're going to go to this island and, and people are just going to bow and get saved. And they did. You could read the book of Acts. You can come to Panama. You can see lives being transformed. But I'm sure that when they, when they sent off from Antioch, their, their mindset was not, oh, great. We're going to be opposed. The very first person that we're going to meet is going to be a magician who's going to oppose, try to distract us from the work and the mission that God has called us to. God allowed us to live in um, a, a city in, in Panama called Santiago the last four years. And there we started a church. We planted a church with six people. We started my family of four and um, the co-pastor Miguel and his wife Jasmine. So the six of us started this church and, and quickly after we um, grew the church to a leadership team, we, we began with the model of the small groups. And so we had various small groups throughout the city. And one of the small groups was in the, an area of the of Santiago, which is a notorious red zone. I don't know what crazy missionary would take their missions groups there, but it's in an area called Don Bosco. Uh, actually, we took your youth there for four years, um, three years. But, um, but anyway, Don Bosco is a, is a difficult area. Um, an area where they, you know, the cops will stop you at dark and say you sh really shouldn't be in there. But how I many you know that where it's the darkest, Jesus needs to shine the brightest? And so we began a small group there. Um, actually shortly right after our first VBS, we, 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 we used that as a launching for our small group in Don Bosco. And so we had the, the youth and the children there on Friday nights and, and we were meeting in a community house. It's a little one room building. And, and so we're meeting there for five, maybe six weeks or so. And, and how many you know that if you give the kids like candy and, and sugar and stuff, they'll come, you know what I mean? So we had kids coming, we would sugar them all up and send them back home, you know, but, but I mean, so Friday nights, kids were coming, youth were coming more and more each week. And, and then one week, one of our small group leaders there, she called me and she says, um, Terry, you know, we, we can't meet Friday in Don Bosco. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, you know, can we meet maybe Thursday? And she said, well, let me talk to the lady in charge. She called the lady. She called me back. She said, no, sorry, Thursday won't work either. I'm like, how strange. This building was never used. It was always vacant. And now Thursday and Friday, it's occupied. And, and I said, well, what about Wednesday? She said, sorry, every day of the week, it's, it's occupied. What we didn't know is that the Catholic priest in Don Bosco caught wind of what God was doing in the evangelical church. He stood up that Sunday morning and told his people that they are not allowed to send their children and their youth to our small group. 
You see, opposition comes in many different forms. By no way am I saying that the Catholic Church is is our opposition or enemy, but but there it operates a little differently than here. There, you know, the Catholic priest views himself as the the father of the community. And if daddy doesn't know what's going on, it ain't going to happen. And um, so I just want to tell you the opposition comes in many different forms. How many of you guys just jump up and down when you're opposed? No, right? But how many of you have been opposed in your life in one way? We all have. So has Paul and so has Jesus Christ. So we're not alone. I just want to challenge you that when you are opposed, many times that can distract us and attract us. It can, you know, make us mope. But I want to tell you that, that God, his ways are always higher and greater than our ways. So as this store closed in this local community um, building, I, I said, well, what are we going to do? As I mentioned, we had held a VBS with your team in the local elementary school. So I went to the principal there that we had a relationship with. And I said, hi, May. I said, you know, we were meeting with, with the children and the youth on Friday nights in the community center. We can't meet there anymore. I said, is there any way that we can maybe meet in the school? So Jaime, the principal who we had a good relationship with, thanks to you guys and, and our ongoing um, work there with the children, opened the door to the school. So now we were able to meet in the public elementary school as they're releasing on Friday afternoons. About 500 kids are being released to go home. We're able to enter, share the love of Jesus Christ with them, invite them to our small group that met right there as school was being released. See, God allowed us to reach a far greater capacity of students because that one door was closed, but yet he opened another. If we may go back to the story of Paul and, and Barnabas real quick, um, as you read the story, you'll, you'll see that, um, that they had a third person along with them. Um, it was Paul, Barnabas, and Barnabas's cousin. His name was John Mark. John Mark was a little younger. The Bible tells us that he got a little homesick. You know, he missed mama's cooking. He missed that awesome whatever I ate last night. What was it? Um, carrot cake and, and blueberry pie. He missed all that good stuff. And the Bible tells us that John Mark... Left, He deserted Paul and Barnabas along the missionary journey and went back home. How many of you have had a deserter in your life? Someone that started the journey of faith, started the process, and then for whatever reason, hightailed it back 180 degrees to which they came. My wife is going to come this morning and continue the story of our mission in Panama. Good morning. He's going to sit behind me and watch me and tell me if I take too long. So it's a deserter. Um, when we started the church, we discovered shortly after we started that we had an area that we were lacking, and that was the area of worship. A difficult area. But out of desperation and obedience, I play the piano and I sing. So that was what I got to do. Not my favorite thing. That's my time of devotion. But I was praying the whole time, God, as the church grows, you need to send somebody who can lead worship in their language, who can do what I can't do. And shortly after, a young man named Eduardo started attending our groups, and I discovered Eduardo played the guitar and he sang. So I was quite happy. The problem was Eduardo played the guitar and he sang, but he did it as a performer. And we know that there's a difference between somebody who comes up here and performs for all of you guys and somebody who leads worship. There is a spirit that's different. 
So I took about a year and a half with Eduardo. I taught him the songs. I taught him the different the ways of, they play music differently than we do, for sure. I can't do the mariachi. But I taught him the worship songs that we were doing, and I, I spent time praying with him and investing in him, teaching him how to lead worship, how to lead the congregation in a time of worship. About a year and a half later, we were ready, and I had told Terry, I said, Eduardo's going to pick the songs. He's leading worship this Sunday. So I was excited. I could play the piano and have my time with God and I was so excited and we showed up and we do a countdown for our church too, because with our church, if we don't do a countdown, they will spend the entire time fellowshipping. So we do a countdown and I'm watching the countdown. And as the countdown is going, I'm realizing Eduardo's not there. And as the time ended and worship was supposed to start, Eduardo still wasn't there. So we went through the service and I led worship again and Eduardo, whatever, we don't know what happened that day we completely lost contact with Eduardo. He wouldn't return phone calls from us, from anybody in the church, from other pastors. He even, during that small group in Don Bosco one week, my kids went up to the corner convenience store to get chips and a soda, and he was there, and he jumped in his car and left as quickly as he could. He completely deserted us without reason, without, we don't know. We don't know what happened in his life, if we offended him or if there was something else. We pray for him. Um, we hope that, you know, I don't believe we, any investment we make in the kingdom of God will not return void. And I know that there's a purpose for it. It wasn't for us at this time. And that was hard to swallow, but we pray for him. But even in the midst of those things, miracles happen. And Terry will share that in a minute. I'm going to quickly go back to the story of Paul and Barnabas. And if you read, I don't have any slides to give you verses. I'm going to summarize very quickly. Um, the end of chapter 13, they're in the town of Iconium. And in the town of Iconium, it says the word of the Lord is spreading throughout the whole land. The ministry that Paul and Barnabas were doing was spreading. They were receiving the word of God. But they caught wind of a rumor that there was somebody, that there were people in the town of Iconium that wanted to hurt them. So they packed up and moved to the next town of Lystra. I would do the same thing. They go to the town of Lystra, and the word of the Lord in chapter 14 is also spreading. But in the town of Lystra, the people were stirred up against Paul and Barnabas again. And there in the middle of the town of Lystra, Paul was stoned. They dragged him outside the city and left him for dead. Now, we know that when the word of the Lord is spreading, when, when God's word is spreading, the enemy is going to work too. He's going to try to distract us from what God is doing. In our lives, I can say we were never actually, we never had stones thrown at us. But as far as our family goes, the attacks came. As you guys came and blessed and the ministry was exploding, the enemy was moving and trying to really dishearten us. And the way he did it for us was we were robbed over and over again. I don't know if many of you know that Santiago is a very safe city, but it seemed like every time we turned around, we were being robbed again at home. And every time we were robbed, we were at home. There are bars on the windows, so we don't think we were in danger. Nobody came in. But they, they were creative. They duct taped sticks together and put hooks on the end and grabbed what they could. And you kept repeating, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. But when it keeps happening, there's something inside you that breaks. The last time we were robbed, I'm going to share it. This involves my kids a little bit. We were actually eating dinner, 
Amber finished and she had asked to be excused from the table. She went into my bedroom to get something and she saw an arm reaching through the window. For some reason, she thought it was her dad and she turned on the light and pulled back the curtain and she was face to face with the young man who was trying to rob us. That night, a series of events unfolded where I can say Amber that night, she was only 11, ran to her room and had a panic attack. Completely understandably so. Jacob, at the age of 13, was in on our computer, angry. He'd had enough. And he was yelling at me, Mom, just give me the money that's in the bank at home. I'm leaving. Let me live. I don't care who you have me live with. I'm done. I'm leaving this place. There's nothing here for me. And you know, moms, I wanted to be strong for them. I didn't want them to see what was going on inside. But that night when my kids were breaking, I broke too. And I went into the bathroom and I sat down on the floor, locked the door, and I cried to God. And I said, God, why, when everything is going so well, why does this keep happening? Why, why, why do you let these people keep robbing us? And we're, we're, bra- we're broken, Lord. I don't know what to do. And that night... God spoke to me and he asked me a question. He said, do you trust me? And I had a, you know, my first reaction was, God, I'm here in the middle of Panama. Yeah, I trust you. I I left home. I'm here. He said, no, do you trust me with your kids? That was a little harder to answer because the truth is I'm one who likes to control things. So yes, I dedicated my kids to the Lord, but I like to tell God, wouldn't it be better Isn't this the better way to do it? What if I just hold the reins a little longer? And really, I had to dedicate my kids to the Lord again. Then the next part, do you trust that I called you here? And I really had to work through the process of realizing that it was an attack from the enemy and that I knew God had called me there. And I think we all go through times like that in our life when The enemy attacks in whatever way possible, whether it's illness, whether it's loss of a job, whatever it might be. And we have to listen to God and answer that question. Do you trust me? In the midst of the chaos of this world, do you still trust God with your whole heart? And are you willing to follow him no matter what? And God will give us what we need. For us, we were able to move and we started a healing process. And both kids are looking forward to going back home. And then I can say there's the rest of the story, which is the good part, because the ministry was going well, and he gets to share the good news, so. Amen, amen. She gets to be the bearer of bad news. Quickly, Acts chapter 14, it says they both return to their sending church. So Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, verse 27 says, and reported to them all that God had done through them. So we want to report to you, you're one of our sending churches the good, the bad, and the ugly um, of what God has done to us. I'm sure knowing Paul like I do, he he didn't hold any punches. I'm sure he lifted up his cloak and said, you see these bruises right here, those crazy people in this, or they tried to kill me. So we just want to be real with you so that you can pray. I do have a video. Um, as my wife said, God did some amazing things, and you guys were part of a lot of it, um, seeing churches planted and, and just some of the stuff. So if you have that video, you can go ahead and roll that. It's about three and a half minutes long, so you won't get a a long nap, but you can try. It's, it's okay if, yeah, that's fine if that's, 
All right. Um, I just want to highlight two things, um, two stories, if I may, of, and I would be here all day long, but um, my wife mentioned the, the story of Eduardo the deserter, and the Bible tells us that Paul and Barnabas get ready to go back out um, for the second missionary journey. Paul goes to Barnabas and says, hey, Barnabas, you ready to go? And, and Barnabas is like, yeah, um, let me go get John Mark. You know, we'll be ready in just a minute. And Paul's like, wait, time out. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, you know. And so Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. Barnabas and John Mark go one way. Paul solicits um, the help of a man by the name of Silas, and Paul and Silas go out again for the second missionary journey. And what I find truly amazing is Paul goes back to Lystra. Remember, Lystra was the town that they tried to kill him. And there in Lystra, God breathes and God does a miracle in giving Paul the son by the name of Timothy. My wife shared the story of of Eduardo, our deserter, who left us, and we don't know why, and that pained us. But in the midst of that, Eduardo, while he was still with us, invited a uh, his brother-in-law to start attending our church. We had a soccer team. I was a soccer coach, and, and this brother-in-law at the time was 17 years old. He started coming to church, and and um, his name is Ulis. Some of you guys know Ulis, possibly. And Ulis started coming to church. Eduardo left, and and though that pained us, and it pained us greatly, but my major concern was I didn't know if Ulis knew Jesus as his Savior or not. Um, and how Eduardo's decision of leaving was going to affect Ulis. Ulis and I had a little bit of a rocky time. I had to bench him from our final soccer game. He was our assistant captain. That didn't fly too well. For three months, I didn't see Ulis. And I'm like, oh, great. Now Ulis is gone. One day out of the blue, Ulis calls me or texts me actually and says, Pastor Terry, he said, we need to go out for lunch um, or coffee. We go out and coffee and and he apologized and says, you know, I'm sorry for my attitude. I want to come back and play for the team. I'm like, you know, great, Ulis, but you know you have to start attending the church and the small group again. He's like, no, I want to. And so Ulis came back, and there was something different. You see, this time Ulis was was showing fruits. He was growing in his faith. Um, last year in, in January, he we were announcing a baptism, and, and Ulis came to me and says, Pastor Terry, I... I'm ready. I want to be baptized. And so we have a picture here, Ulis, in March of this last year. There's Ulis, 22 years old, being baptized in the river. He has become like a Timothy to us. Um, you guys that know Ulis, you pray for him. Um, he loves God with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul. He loves girls as well. He told me to bring him back a gringa. Um, so if there's any gringas here. But um, but there's Ulis. Um, in um, a Timothy, I'm going to share one more story in the time, and then um, and then uh, one more verse. Um, it was two years ago in January, as you guys know. Um, that's January, February is our summertime. It's hot in Panama. It's a dry heat though, so it's not that bad. But anyway. On Saturdays, God opened the door for us to minister to skaters and bikers in, in all of Panama and specifically in Santiago, Panama. So every Saturday, I'm, I'm in a local park, um, ministering to between 15 and 40 that would come out every week. When we have our large competitions, as your pastor mentioned, we would have 200 or so come, um, you know, to those competitions, but every Saturday and discipling these young men. And so we were there in January. 17th, two years ago, 2015. And my text, my phone started lighting up with text messages and it very simply said this, Angel is dead. 
Now, those of you that know teenagers, you know sometimes their sense of humor isn't always spot on. And so for some reason, I thought it was some type of a cruel joke, especially when this message was coming from Angel's cell phone. One of them came from his phone, Angel is dead. And I'm like, you know, how can this be? I, I was in unbelief and, and Angel and three of his best friends left that morning, Saturday morning, to go to a town about an hour away. There was going to be a large competition there on Sunday. So they left early and I knew they were leaving. Um, um, and so they weren't with us in the in the local park, and and so they went there, and and they were practicing and doing their thing. And around twelve twelve thirty in the afternoon, it's hot there in Panama. And they decided to go to the local stream to go swimming, not knowing um, they're not from the area. They did not realize that just upstream from where they're swimming is a water sanitation facility, releasing water into the stream, causing it to rise quickly there in front of three of his best friends, Angel, fourteen years old drowned and passed away. You can imagine the pain. This family of bikers and skaters is tight. As news was spreading, and here I am in this local park, and, and just the grief, the, the, the shock, the awe. And I found myself at one point in the shade, because that's what missionaries do. We sit in the shade while the teams work. And so I was sitting in the shade, um, and I was just talking to God and saying, God, why on hell? He was 14. He was one of the best bikers in, in all of Panama. Um, he had such a future. He always had a smile on his face. And, and the Lord spoke to me that day. And he says, Terry, do you remember one week ago? Now I'm over 40. It takes me a little longer. So I sat there and I'm recollecting back one week ago to the day I was in that very same park. I was wrapping us up a sermon series and I was preaching on when the angel announced today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And I was sharing with these bikers and skaters. There's a difference between saying Jesus be my savior. You know, a lot of people can raise their hand and say that. There's a difference between that and saying Jesus be my Lord. You see, when you say, Jesus be my Lord, what you're saying is, Lord, lead me and guide me, Lord. Every decision that I make, every breath that I take, Lord, let it not be mine, but yours. And there that day, one week to the day before his death, Angel and many of his biker friends raised their hand and said, Jesus be my Lord and Savior. See, that's why we do what we do. And some of you here today have a very personal sweat interest in that story because you guys built the ramps you guys opened the door for us to be able to go and minister to Angel and his friends and today Angel is in the presence of the Lord because of your faithfulness both those that are on the team and those of you that give as your pastor mentioned in your faith promises can we jump to the end of the story in Acts chapter 27? And we're going to conclude with this. Acts 27, Paul has done his missionary journey. Um, he said, I have to go back to Jerusalem and, and report to the church in Jerusalem all that God has done. And they're like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It was prophesied. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be put in prison. He's like, no, I, I have to go. Sure enough, Paul goes to um, Jerusalem. He's thrown in prison. Throughout the trial, he said, wait a minute, time out. I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to appeal my case to Caesar in Rome. So here he is in, in, in Jerusalem, kind of in a holding cell, waiting for his trial to, to take place in Rome. So we pick up the story here in Acts chapter 27. It says this, when it was decided that we would set sail for Italy, 
Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramithium about to sail for the ports along the coast of province, uh, along the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Here's what I find truly amazing about this story. You see, Paul was a prisoner. He had no choice, right? They said, jump. He said, how high? They said, Paul, here's your, here's your ship. It's come. Get on your ship. You're going to, to Rome for trial. But what I find amazing here is as Luke is writing Acts, there's a word there. It says, we. You know, Luke said, you know what, Paul? I'm coming with you. Luke could very easily said, Paul, you're the foolish one that came here. We told you not to get on that ship. I'm going to take the, you know, the carnival cruise line edition, you know, the Mediterranean edition, and I'm going to meet you there in six months. But what Luke was saying is sign me up, Paul, I'm coming with you. It tells us further on that Aristarchus, this dude from Thessalonica that, that Paul had met on his missionary journey said, Paul, I'm coming with you. And see, church, that's what you do when, when you take your faith promise cards and you faithfully seek God in his face and say, God, what do you want me to do? What you're doing is saying, God, I'm going to go with those missionaries to whatever country, the 70 or 60, 70, whatever countries that you guys support. What you're doing is saying, effectively, I'm going to go with them through my prayers and through my finances. And see, when you do that, when you're faithful to God, then missionaries are able to come back and tell you stories of Ulis and Anahel and churches and individuals and, and the testimonies and the miracles that God is doing because of your faithfulness. You see, it's a partnership. And without your part in that, without your investment and without your faithfulness, God's kingdom would not be able to be expanded as it is being done so today. So I want to thank you and I want to challenge you to allow God to speak to you as an, indiv as an individual and as a church as what he would want you to do this year for his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Pastor. That's what I love about going on the trips because you can actually see what's going on right there and to be part of, of, of what Terry and Bridget are doing in their family. And it's incredible. And we're so glad to partner with them. And so what we, what we want to do today, thanks again for sharing and, and coming to our church and sharing what God is doing. It's just an exciting thing. Um, what we want to do is we want to take a, an offering for them and just bless the ministry of what God's doing in Panama. And so there's a couple ways that, that, that you can give. You can, if you write a check, just write to Living Word. We'll make sure everything goes there. You can, you can use cash or you can do a uh, text to give. And I have the way that you can do that up on the screen. Just text to that amount and then, uh, and just put, um, in the text part, just put, uh, the amount in missions. And uh, if you're set up in our system, it goes right there. If not, uh, there'll be a link. It takes two seconds, and then you'll be set up uh, in our system to be able to give uh, through your smartphone. So thank you so much for your giving and for your prayers. And, and I know one thing. You, I know a lot of times we don't, we don't see or hear all the things that the missionaries go through on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis. And um, them, I appreciate you guys sharing 
your, your struggles too, because sometimes you just hear all the other stuff, but you don't realize the struggles that you go through too. And, and they're real and, and they're part of the opposition, but God is so faithful. He's just so faithful to, to see us through and, and, and the Roshas are a testimony of God's faithfulness to see them through these difficult things that can happen easily um, on, on the mission field. And so I know your prayers for them are so coveted, and I know they greatly appreciate it. So let's pray for them as we just take this offering for them. And then the band's just going to do a closing song. We'll just worship the Lord. God, just thank you for just your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for the stories. And what you're doing in Panama through the Roshas, Lord, thank you for the calling that you placed on their life. And Lord, I just pray for this offering as we give it to you that, that God, it would be used to continually touch hearts and lives that, um, that are represented in Panama, God. Thank you for their calling. Just use them greatly. And Lord, just as Terry said, we want to be partners with that. We want to be partners. We want to go with them by the way we pray for them and financially support them, God. And so thank you for your faithfulness and the fruit that's happening because of what God is, is doing through their lives. And we're so grateful for that. So just use this offering, God, for your glory and for your purposes, we pray. And we just love you and we thank you. And we pray your blessing over the Roshas, God. Continue to use them mightily for your purposes. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give.